Have you heard of this thing called Live Golf? I think it's called Live. I don't know how you pronounce it. L-I-V. No, I don't. What's Live Golf? Live Golf. Okay, so you know about the PGA Tour. It's like the the main, yeah, it's, it's like that, the NFL tennis for golf, thing. right? <laughs> no, <laughs> golf. <laughs> so... So Live Golf is a competitor to the PGA that just emerged. Oh, the out Saudi of Arabia thing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a Saudi-backed rival. And these guys are basically trying to, it's like they're trying to spin up a new league by brute force. They're investing hundreds of millions Which of I dollars. Appreciate. I think they pledged. Yeah, yeah, me too. Big, big swing. So this is not, yeah. this is the opposite of SPS, right? Yeah. So this is uh, BDE. Yeah. So, so basically they... They put the Saudi public investment fund put in, they pledged $400 million to start the league. I think they've even committed more than that. Now. I thought they offered and Tiger they, Woods like 500 million or something crazy. News came out. Yeah. They offered him $800 million and he said no, which is like just kind of an insane thing. So, but they have signed other huge stars. So Phil Mickelson, uh, you know, Dustin Johnson, this guy, you know, Brooks Kefka or whatever, who, who recently won the, the, he, he won like four majors or whatever. Um, Cameron Smith, who's like this young star, he signed a hundred million dollar deal. Dustin Johnson, hundred twenty five million dollar deal. Phil Mickelson, two hundred million dollar deal. They offered Tiger and didn't get him yet. All right, what's going on, dude? Um, how are you? Fantastic. So, I have something that I've been thinking about that I've been wanting to talk to you about. I started. Um, have you ever seen? That video of Adolf Hitler at the Ber- <laughs> at uh, the German Olympics in 1936 when he's watching the Olympics and he's like rocking back and forth. Have you ever seen that? Bro, you can't be blonde haired, blue eyed and coming on here, starting off saying, have you ever seen my favorite video of Hitler? No, 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 no. Have you ever We're seen that video? up the charts, bro. We're trying to go up. Have you ever seen that video of him? Like, so he's like, basically, he, there's this video that I saw a couple of weeks ago where he's at the Olympics and he's rocking back and forth and he's very clearly on drugs, like some type of Coke or something like he's on drugs. And I started getting curious about it and I started looking into this and Someone in the comments said that there's this really good book called Blitz. So I bought it. It's right here. It's called Blitz. And basically, it's a it's called Blitz, Drugs in the Third Reich. So basically, uh, after reading it, Hitler and a ton of the Nazis, as well as just a ton of Germany, starting in the 1930s, like uh, morphine, heroin, and meth was invented. And they used to think that it was like a miracle drug. Doctors were like, take this meth. It makes you feel great. <laughs> um, it's like this it's like a it's like a it's like a miracle drug like you get euphoria you want to stay up all the time you'll eat less it's this wonderful drug and like it was a legal drug that Bayer, you know b-a-y-e-r the drug company now they were like selling this shit and they would even put it in chocolates and there was like a chocolate that you would eat that had a little meth in it and it was like always satisfied or something like that and like it was so common and turns out hitler was a junkie he was getting injected with meth uh, for years. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, like when they were getting bombed the very last minute, he was like, oh no, we're doing great. Because he had like these, like, you know, he was like hallucinating, you know, he had like thoughts of grandeur, typical meth shit. And I started thinking about this. What other stuff in history was supposed to be one way and be happening like one time, but turns out it was for a totally other reason. And I started looking into it. So for example, Henry VIII, he was the kid. Have you, you know what Protestants are? No, <laughs> I've heard that word a thousand times. 
I knew you wouldn't know. what it is. Dude, Protestant. No. <laughs> so like there's like the Catholics and then there's the uh, the Protestants. It's basically like if you're like an evangelical Christian, if you're a Baptist, if you're like all these other different types of Christian religions, you're probably a Protestant. Uh, maybe by definition you are. Anyway, someone came up with it, like Martin Luther came up with it. And, and, and in the 1500s, the king of England, he basically like had like eight divorces because he couldn't have a kid. Like it was it was him. He was infertile. And the pope was like, hey, you can't have these divorces anymore. This is bullshit. And he's like, no, fuck that. Then we're going to switch to Protestant because that allows like, you know, me to get a divorce and I can have all these kids. And so now like there's a billion Protestants in the world because he just turns out like want a divorce. And then like there's this like there's this like story that you you, you ever know how Barcelona people say Barcelona really funny, like Barcelona. Lisp, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's like this urban myth that the uh, king of Spain had a lisp and someone's like, hey, you know, it's pronounced Barcelona. And he goes, no, from now on, it's Barcelona. Because, you know, that's just how I say it. That's just <laughs> my first million. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, Mike Tyson rule the world. <laughs> uh, I'm just thinking about like what other stuff did we think that was going to be like, you know, was for this like grand reason. But it was really just like, you know, like. The guy's dad said something like like George Bush invading, like, you know, looking for weapons of mass destruction because like his dad was like, you know, you're not strong like your brother. And like, he, or, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> he, he couldn't find the remote one time. Now yeah. He's got this complex. Or he had this like leftover, like mission accomplished banner. He's like, well, we got to do something with it. You know, like what else? Like what else in history has been done just for like totally the opposite reason? I don't know, but I bet there's so much like I think about this with food all the time when I see, oh, you know, uh, you know, people are like, oh, you know, that the active ingredient in Advil or aspirin comes from this like oak tree and like blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, but how do we figure that out? Like who was just gnawing on trees and was like, you know, this one, I had a headache earlier and now I don't have it anymore. <laughs> right. Like all foods what's like, oh, this one kills you. This one's good for you. It's like. Uh, okay, but like, you know, who were the testers? Who was figuring this out along the way? I actually think that that was probably like, what's the most fun time to be alive was then when nothing, when no one knew anything about anything, like you didn't know what was food and what was not food. Like how much just random soil has been eaten by somebody being like, this has to be food. And then somebody else is like, you know, sees a chicken running by. He's like, no, I think under that feather, under those feathers, there's something there. There, dude. There's all I types of good stories like time, that, and I never research it. So, like, <laughs> have you heard about like the invention of LSD? No. The guy, uh, he it was a European doctor. He was trying to like he was a doctor, right? Yeah, he was just trying to make like uh, I forget what it was, but some type of antibiotic, like just something normal. And he got a little bit of the shit in his skin. Like he like touched it funny. And he was like, oh my God, this is awesome. And then he like starts tinkering with it even more. And he goes, all right, let's try this. And he gives himself a huge dose. And he starts running home on his bicycle. He's like, nothing's happening. Like this didn't work. And then all of a sudden it hits him. And he like has the biggest trip of his life. And then he like, you know, it changes everything. Yeah, I feel like penicillin. There's a whole bunch of drugs that were discovered by by accident for sure. Um, yeah, it's it's. I, I mean, I don't know where you want to go with this topic, but I don't want to go anywhere. I just thought it was interesting. This book, like I just been reading this book about drugs and like the Nazis. And I was like, it's crazy. Like the book says that they at the time in the 30s and 40s when World War II was happening, that something like 60 percent 
of German doctors were addicted to morphine. And they are the ones like, you know, voting on what the laws were going to be around, you know, how these controlled substances are handled. It, it, it's, right. it's, it's crazy. It, it, it changed my perspective. Well, I guess it didn't change my perspective, but you know what I mean? It's just like a, a, an interesting read. Let me tell you an interesting story. Have you heard about this math teacher in Florida? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> These stories can go one of two ways. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did dog, was he on Dog the Bounty Hunter? I, I'm not. I, I mean, this could go a bunch of different ways. Yeah. Is there a funny like viral yeah, video no. of him in a Seven Eleven? No. So get this. So so um, so Brandon was telling me about this. This is kind of amazing. So there's this guy. Okay. So you know, like. Um, you know, those like kind of like school competitions, whether it's spelling bee or math competitions or whatever. So there's this math competition and there's this kind of strange thing going on where one small school is not a private school has won like 15 out of the last 17 of these math competitions. And people were like, God, what is going on at like Buckholes high school? And the story is kind of amazing. So there's this guy, Will Fraser. He's a, he starts as a banker on wall street. And he's doing like bond trading or something like that. And the guys, you know, this is like in the, the 80s. He's like, you know, this is the heyday of, of, of where, you know, you've ever read those books like Liars Poker and things like that. It's like the heyday of Wall Street. People are making tons of money. Um, he retires by 27. So he's made a bunch of money. He's like, dude, this is too stressful of a lifestyle. How much should he make? I don't want to do this anymore. I uh, don't know exactly how much he made, but enough to retire at 27. So let's assume it's, you know, like I would say 10 million at least. Okay. That's my guess. So he buys a Ferrari. He drives down to Florida. He's like just dreaming of like a slower, calmer life. He's like, you know what? I'm just going to go to Florida, bought this Ferrari. I'm going to just play a bunch of golf, play a bunch of basketball, and I'm just going to hang out. Do Ferrari does shit. That. Yeah. For, for, for a decade, he's, you know, that guy you see on like Tuesday at 1 p.m. just like hanging out at the park. And you're just like, How do you, know? you don't have a job? Like what's going on? He's that guy. And he does it for 10 years. No income. 10 years. He's just chilling. And he plays a bunch of golf. And along the way, he's sort of like, yeah, you know what? Like, I'm feeling a little uh, aimless. Don't have a great you know, purpose in my life at this point. So he's like, uh, he reaches out to a local high school. And he's like, hey, um, can I teach golf over there? And they're like, ah, sure. And he comes over and teaches golf. And he's like, I like teaching, actually. Even on Wall Street, I actually, I, I liked teaching the young guys. So he's like, um, what, what else? Can I teach like a finance class? You know, I'm a former Wall Street guy, made it big, retired. Can I teach a finance? They're like, no, we don't have finance. But uh, you can become a math teacher if you want. And he's like, all right, I'll do it. And so he goes and he becomes a math teacher and he walks in on day one and he's like, listen, let me tell you this right now. I don't need this job. You guys, you guys give me any shit. This will be my last day. <laughs> and they're like, okay, uh, you know, respect. And so he gets one day, he's like checking his mailbox as a teacher and he sees this math competition coming up. He's like, oh, like, that's cool. Let's try this. So he enters into the math competition. They go there and they get smoked. They get fifth out of sixth uh, place. So they're, they're second to last. And, um, and he's like, dude, I couldn't even solve some of these problems. Like this was hard, but like the flip, you know, the switch got flipped. The competitive switch in him gets flipped. And he's just like, actually, I liked that competition. I missed the competition of wall street where it was just like completely dog eat dog. And you're like high intensity. And so he decides to do it again and again and again. And he, and he, he, he goes and he, they get fifth the next time and they get third and they, so on and so forth. And he be, basically decides that we are going to dominate these competitions. And that's exactly what's happened. Dude, isn't that now the best? Won we're like 15 out of 17. The 15 out of 17. Isn't that the best when someone just like sees like a small opportunity and they're like, no one takes this as seriously as we're going to take this. Let's do it. 
You know what I mean? I love that's, that. And that's exactly what Just happened. like that cheerleading movie that we watched uh, on Netflix. That It's like they just like take Here. it. Yeah, they take it to the, the, the highest that one degree. I discovered? Yeah, the one that you made popular. <laughs> yeah. So the so the guy, so people are like, dude, what's your secret? What are you doing differently? Blah, blah, blah. He's like, oh, I just took a different level of intensity. He's like, it's just insane hard work. He goes, you know, um, average math teacher gets 72 hours of classroom time with their students per semester. Um, and then they hope that after school, some of those kids come and they learn for an hour, uh, you know, once a week or whatever. That's what they're putting in. He goes, oh, I just switched it. First, I took all the good math kids. I put them in the same class, kind of like almost like, you know, the, like blended of age. But like, he's like, I put all the best people in the same class so they would compete with each other. Then we used our class time to start preparing for these competitions. Then I started creating summer camps where we could get 80 hours in four weeks. So the equivalent of a full semester of teaching in this high intensity thing. He's like, and I just developed a program because they're like, are you the best at math? He's like, no, I don't even teach the advanced math stuff. Like one of my former students teaches like the hard stuff. I just build the program. He's like, I put the high school students with the middle school students. Um, and that because the middle school students sort of idolize the high schoolers, they teach down and then the, the, the middle schoolers rise up. He's like, so I built this program where one alumni, basically like the older kids teach the younger kids, the younger teacher kids, kids even teach the even younger kids. And we just put in way more time. He's like, then I started scouting like this is like, you know, Alabama football. So he'll go and he'll look at the scores of other schools and he'll find the high performing kids and he'll recruit them to his That's program. Crazy. And then the reputation got built where they started winning. So now parents are coming inbound and being like, please take my kid. Uh, and he's like, we only have so many spots. I'm sorry. And so he's built this like talent pipeline. And not only that, they actually the talent pipeline goes even further. Now companies like McKenzie and the big banks, Wall Street, they come recruit from his high school. The big schools, Ivy League for interns come and shit, recruit yeah. from his high school. Because they want his students now. So he built like a, a platform for where they can go, which helps him recruit even better students. And so where'd you see like this when story? COVID happened? What's that? Where'd you read this? It's just like, the, I think that, so it's been in just like the local Florida news for a while. And then I saw something. Yeah, but what uh, were you uh, doing? Brandon sent me an article. <laughs> Who's Brandon? No, he sent this article from the Wall Street Journal or something. Uh -huh. and it was like paywall. So I only got the first paragraph. I'm too cheap to pay for it. But I was like, oh, what's the story? And then I found all these local Florida papers that had the, the rest. And so um, they said, like, during COVID, they were like, oh, you got to teach remotely. And he's just like, oh, oh OK, yeah, we're going to downgrade the intensity. He's like, hell no, I resign. And then he went to a church, rented out the church. I was like, hey, if you guys want to come and train here, we could do this. And 140 kids went and trained daily in his church during COVID when everybody else was low, had to lower their intensity. He ratcheted how, it How up. old is this guy now? So now he's like in his 60s. And so he, he's been doing this now for like, you know, a number of years. So he, he was basically 27. He took 10 years off. So he's closer to 40, 10, 11 years off. And then basically from 40 to 60, he's just been dominating this one thing. Uh, isn't this incredible? This is incredible. This is incredible. I think there's a few things. One, just the intensity. Number two, I think sometimes if you pick like a lot of people, including me, we want to move to San Francisco, New York, L.A. and try to become like a medium sized fish in a big pond. I think there's so much to be said about being the best or a big fish in a little pond and like you can make a name for yourself totally. and have a way better life. Like this random dude is having so much more impact by creating a being like the guy for like this very small math contest versus, you know, a rich. He's probably way more fulfilled than being just like another hundred million dollar banker. Dude, I.
I want to get diagnosed with a bad case of SPS. <laughs> I want small pond syndrome. And <laughs> like, I, I, I am a huge believer in this. Dude, when I, so I lived in Houston uh, in high school. And Houston, uh, I went to a big public school, 5,000 kids, and kids from all over Houston. And basically, um, I, my life was basketball. I loved basketball. And I remember a game in ninth grade um, the varsity coach, I was on the ninth grade team and I, you know, the, the goal would be to someday be on varsity and the varsity coach watching our game. And for some reason, I think I scored like, two, I, I had like two threes to start the game. And then all of a sudden the most athletic kid on their team decided like, nah, this guy's not going to like see the hoop again. And he starts picking me up full court. Basically like from the moment I can move, this guy's like in my shirt and, um, you know, and I, I, can't, I literally can't get by this guy. Like, I'm trying to go left. I'm trying to go right. I cannot get by this guy. And I don't know what to do. And I'm just basically like getting frazzled. So coach calls timeout. The, the coach calls timeout. The varsity coach walks into the huddle. And I think he's going to give me this like epic advice. Maybe like that varsity advice. How am I supposed to get by this guy? And he just goes, you will never play varsity basketball. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> Thanks, Coach Hollingsworth. And he's just like, if you can't handle this guy you will never like he's because he's like i thought you might be and now i see no as like some motivational thing and then he just gave you and a wedgie and walked away <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> fucking nerd so hard yeah. yeah exactly like hey i'd like to report a bully yeah yeah no it's is there a checkbox for faculty <laughs> um, but but he was right and in in the houston pond i was nowhere near athletic enough to be whatever now, luckily, my parents, uh, my dad gets a job in, in Beijing. We moved to China <laughs> in the 10th grade. I go to China. First day, I start playing basketball. The, you know, <laughs> ask for autographs. These kids don't get protein <laughs> yeah. over there. I, yeah, these kids don't get protein. Everybody's scrawny. Every, I'm blowing by everybody. Varsity coach walks over. He's just like, hey, what's your name? Uh, I end up being captain of the varsity team. You know, I got a girlfriend. Like, my life changed for the better. Like, oh, everything got better. Because... I caught SPS. I got small, small pond syndrome and I was able to go be a varsity player over there. Captain of the team, the captain of, the of a football key uh, of a football team in rural Alabama with a hundred students. They live the life. Screw the big city. Exactly. Live that life. You know what I'm saying? And there was a part of me, a foggy part of my memory that remembered like, you ain't shit. Do the man like, thing and squash that down. It quickly got washed away. Yeah. yeah, it quickly got washed away, <laughs> and like I forgot. Feelings. And then I thought it became like you're the shit. You're the shit. You're the shit. And th th that's what you want to do in life. Uh, this guy, this guy's doing it right. I actually have this dream too. I was like, I just kind of want to retire and coach high school basketball. Like I think that would just be a lot of fun. And um, and and yeah, you know, this small pond thing. I think we're onto something. I, I've thought about this for a long time. I thought about moving back to St. Louis for a minute, but my wife wasn't down. But I was like, dude, I could just be the man here. Uh, you know, I could buy a million dollar house and it would make the news. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. A million dollars in San Francisco or New York is a studio. But I was like, it would be it would be one of the biggest purchases of the quarter. I would make the news. It would be awesome. But then I realized I, you know. I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want right, to do that. Uh, Bro, what else you got? I got By the way, I, ha I have straight fire today. If you want, uh, if well, you want more, the, more. Right, I've got fire too. I think. Did you see what I have in there? Uh, no, I don't even have the thing open. Oh well, fuck. Um, well, you could you screw. Give me one. Well, okay. So I spoke to like 
a, a bunch of different companies this week and they gave me all their revenue, all their profit. And a few of them are interesting and I could just like bullet point and quickly go through a few of them. You want to do that? By the way, explain why does somebody, you know, why does somebody just give you all the revenue and give you all the profit, as you say? Because uh, it sounds like A, unrealistic, and B, like you sort of like tricked them, but that's not the case. No, so what, I said that. Okay, on? so um, I've got this like uh, community that I'm running that I'm not going to talk about yet, but it's like a CEO community. And when they join, they tell me all types of interesting information so we could place them in the right group. And I messaged, eight of them. And I said, Hey, can I talk about you on the pod? And can you answer these questions? And am I allowed to reveal all of your information? Well, if I am I allowed to reveal the information that you gave me? And they said, Yeah, sure. So that's how I got it. So nothing like crazy. Um, Which one you want to do? All right, I got a couple of them, actually. Give me the most interesting one first. Let's do. uh, Okay, well, here's one that's actually not on. I don't even think I put it on here. But have you ever seen those pedal taverns in? like Nashville and Denver. It's like the bars that you like pedal with like a, is there, they're honestly pretty obnoxious, but you know what I'm talking about? No pedal. What? What do you, I don't It's called a what pedal tavern. So basically like, is it a bus? Like a, a, you've never seen, I guess you don't like leave the suburbs of San Francisco, but in a lot of other cities, Denver, Austin, Nashville, like these like style cities, there's these things called pedal taverns. They kind of look like, um, imagine a bar, in the middle and there's eight people sitting on one side and eight people sit on the other side. Now imagine that being on top of a four wheeled platform and you're pedaling that platform while you're drinking booze. You've never heard of that, but you're outdoors, right? You're outdoors on the street. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's like a, some party thing. Yeah. Yeah. The guy who created one of the first ones is in the group and his name's Pete and his business does, he bootstrapped it from nothing, just out of school. It's getting close to 8 million a year in revenue. And just the pedal taverns do about five million a year in sales, quite profitable. And they're using the profits to buy the real estate that their pedal taverns stay in overnight. That's a pretty interesting right. business. Um, let's see. Another one is: uh, Have you heard of? Um, let's find another one. Have you heard of? Uh, you probably never heard of this. So here's an interesting one. There's this business called The Peak. It's ran by this guy named Brett. So it's a daily newsletter. So it's just like the Hustle, Morning Brew, whatever mostly bootstrapped only and and it's in Canada. And so every day it gives you the news you need to know about Canada, Canadian news, uh, only a team of 10, 90,000 news, newsletter subscribers, not that much and doing about 3 million revenue with third, with a million in profit, pretty good business, a small team of 10, 90,000 subscribers, 53% open rate, 67,000 monthly podcast listeners. The guys were like kind of good, uh, writers, but not really that good. And they just started like writing and cold emailing people and hiring writers. And after two or three years, it's already at about two or three million in revenue. So what are they doing differently? Because that's more revenue per subscriber than most, I think. So, right? yeah, it's pretty good. But basically, he, they just said that uh, um, with in Canada, like there's not that many, there's not as many publications and B2B advertisers, soft software companies, they don't have that many places to advertise. And so these guys have just done a really good job of getting the banks, the telecommunication companies, um, B2B software companies, all these like high end enterprise companies to advertise with them. Gotcha. That's pretty good. Um, okay. Uh, we'll do one more. I want to tell you about a company. Oh, fine. You can go. Uh, okay. Okay. Okay, I want to tell you about a company that you may have heard of. Have you heard of this thing called Live Golf? 
I think it's called Live. I don't know how you pronounce it. L-I-V. Or Live? Wait, L-I-V? Yeah, just L-I-V. No, I don't What's Live Golf? Live Golf. Okay, so you know about the PGA Tour. It's like the, the main, yeah, it's, it's like that, the NFL that tennis for golf, thing. right? <laughs> no, <laughs> golf. <laughs> so... So Live Golf is a competitor to the PGA that just emerged. Oh, the out Saudi of Arabia fact. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a Saudi backed rival. And these guys are basically trying to it's like they're trying to spin up a new league by brute force. They're investing hundreds of millions Which I of dollars. Appreciate. I think they pledged Yeah, yeah, me too. Big big swing. So this is not yeah. this is the opposite of SPS, right? Yeah. So this is uh BDE. Yeah. So so basically they that they put the Saudi public investment fund put in, they pledged $400 million to start the league. I think they've even committed more than that. Now. I thought they offered and Tiger they, Woods like 500 million or something crazy. News came out. Yeah. They offered him $800 million and he said no, which is like just kind of an insane thing. So, but they have signed other huge stars. So Phil Mickelson, uh, you know, Dustin Johnson, this guy, you know, Brooks Kefka or whatever, who, who recently won the, the, he, he won like four majors or whatever. Um, Cameron Smith, who's like this young star, he signed a hundred million dollar deal. Dustin Johnson, hundred twenty five million dollar deal. Phil Mickelson, two hundred million dollar deal. They offered Tiger and didn't get him yet, but um, and Phil can only be on it can only be on Live and not PGA. Exactly. So it's a competitive thing. So PGA is like there's like I don't know uh, sixty events a year or whatever, and then there's like four majors. What these guys are doing is like there's eight events and they all matter. They're going for more of like the NFL model. Uh, versus baseball, right? Baseball has hundred, you know, almost two hundred games a year, and you know they don't really matter. But there's sort of always something on. Whereas the NFL is like, there's like seventeen Sundays or eighteen Sundays, and like they each one is going to matter. So that's what these guys are trying to do with the golf model. Um, and to like put this into context, you know, Tiger Woods, you know, has earned one hundred twenty one million dollars in all of his PGA winnings, like over time. I, you know, obviously he makes more through sponsors and and you know. Um, other sort of like paid events and things like that. But just from the PGA, his lifetime, I think earn, earnings are 121 million. So live is coming out strong and basically giving these guys like tiger woods, lifetime money as a guaranteed contract. Instead of the way the PGA works is it's like, there's a prize pool for every tournament. There's 9 million for every tournament. The winner gets three. Everybody else gets like a, a piece depending on how you finished. And they just do that over and over and over again. And so they do 48 events a year. And, um, and, and so Liv comes in and they basically are giving guaranteed money away instead of saying you have to win in order to be there. And so PGA makes like a billion and a half dollars. Yeah, I'm looking at right now. Revenue. 1.5, a little bit over 1.5. And, wow. you know, 85% of that is like their, their tournaments and the media rights and ads and all that stuff that comes from that. They have like a nine year, they're in year one of a nine year contract. And then Mr. Steal Your Girl comes in and is starting to just take these stars away and uh, and basically is is trying to you know compete with them. They also have like prize prize money as well, and so they need you know they would need to generate like a billion dollars as well to sort of like have like a similar economics. But what's but the I, play like, here? Is do I, like Middle Easterns watch a lot of golf? Is that the shtick? Is like this? No, I I I don't know. If that's why. Like maybe. Uh, like you know, there's like that weird thing where like Russia really loves like women's basketball. I don't know if you know this, no. but like if you're a great women's basketball player, you play college in the United States, then you try to make it to the WNBA and the WNBA pays you basically nothing. Like, you know, you'll make like 70, 80 K. Yeah. Like a shoe salesman um, salary. And then you'll get like 300, 400 K for playing the off season in Russia. Yeah. 
And everyone's wow. like, why does Russia care this much about women's basketball? And like nobody asks questions and like, yeah, it's a little bit, whatever. I don't, I don't know exactly what's going on there, but, um, but that's like, you know, they disproportionately like that sport. And so maybe there is something in, in uh, Saudi Arabia for this, or it's just, they have a huge amount of money and they see the business opportunity where PGA basically had a monopoly on this. And if you can create a successful sports league, these are worth billions and billions of dollars. Like we both love the UFC UFC sold for, I think $4.2 billion dollars. Um, which in my opinion is under is now like very low yeah. undervalued for where it is. And that's like, the UFC is like fringe compared to NBA, NFL, like these major, major, uh, major leagues. What's more popular and uh, so, golf or P or, or UFC golf, right? I think golf is not more popular, but it generates more revenue. But what's more uh, lame? Because it's like sort of the wealthy. <laughs> who beats up who? A yeah. golfer with their club or a UFC fighter with his hands? <laughs> Dude, I, I fucking hate golf. I hate golf. I cannot stand golf. Dude, Golf's not right. a sport. Go honestly. Golf's an activity. Answer this honestly. How much of your thinking at the end of the day boils down to who could beat up who? Most. <laughs> Most. I think that I think because that's like that's like something that we're all like uh like we're all afraid of. Like the guy who at the end of the day is like, oh, I can kill anyone in this room with my bare hands. He is, uh, you know, he's the true, the true dog, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he has nothing to fear. Somebody, somebody said this once I was reading like a NFL scouting report. It's like, there was a draft. There's four quarterbacks. They're all like top prospects. It's like, who's going to go number one. Who's number two. And the guy who does like the draft, he said this line that I thought was so badass. He goes, if they were all on vacation and going for a road, you know, they, they're walking out to go to the car. They would all throw the keys to Mark. <laughs> like they would check the keys to Mark. Mark's driving, and they were, it was like this like alpha male thing. And I was just like, "What was this analogy? And why did I love it so much?" Like, it, if you just said this, if it was like, "Hey, Elon, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, go out to dinner." Um, who's paying? Who's picking up the check? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who ordered the Uber? Yeah, <laughs> none of these guys are driving. <laughs> Do you uh, when you're in a room like at a restaurant? Who sits aisle? How how what percentage of the time when you're at a restaurant do you look around and be like? Whose ass can I kick and whose can I not? Zero. Really? Zero but I know that you do, which is why I asked you this question because it's hilarious. You don't think about that? Zero. Zero percent of the time. Dude, I, can, <laughs> I cannot stand golf. Any sport that you wear khaki pants to, to like play, it's not a sport. <laughs> That's not a sport. It's an activity. It's a hobby. It's checkers, but it's not, you know. Like it's barely a job if you have to wear khakis. It's barely a job. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> sport dude. is sport is out of the question. A khakis and a collared shirt. That is not that's I mean, that's not a sport. Like you you don't sweat. It's an activity. It's a hobby. Uh this is amazing though. I I, I don't like let's get rid of the Saudi Arabia thing. Uh I think it's pretty cool. But if you're Phil Mickelson and you have fuck you money hardcore. And Saudi Arabia, who has, you know, a lot of human rights issues, offers you this. What do you do? Do you take it or not? So you double your net worth I probably think, if you're him. So I think you can't take it alone in a vacuum because you're not trying to go sit on an island doing nothing uh, by yourself and like lose all your relevance. You lose your future earnings if you do that. But you, what I do is I say to them, look, I'm in if you can go get 40% of this list to join. And you could tell them that fills in if you're in. 
And I would basically say, you need to sweep the, a critical mass of us so that this is relevant, that this is considered the top class. I'm not going to go play in the B League or the D League uh, by doing this. And I would tell them that. And I would say, I, I'll do it. You're going to have to cut the fattest check of your life. And you got to go get 40% of this list. So there's in a fact, there's a price that you would take for sure. Oh, of course, of course. If you know, if somebody said, "Hey, you got to go do this podcast on on Android," and I'd be like, is "Android even? Is there a podcast player on Google?" And they'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." It's, we're, we're putting a lot of investment into it. I'd be like, "All right, all right, I'll do that. I'll, I'll take this podcast to SoundCloud. I'll, I'll take it to the to the Google Play Store." But I'm gonna need to see seven and a half million dollars. That's yeah. what I would say about this podcast. I would, I would move this podcast for seven and a half million dollars. That is my price. There's, there's now, that, a price that, to pay to be a whore. I'm down, but, uh, so we actually were going to do this. So at one point in time, uh, I had a startup that was based on, uh, like streaming, uh, video games and Twitch was the like 900 pound gorilla in the room. That was like, it was the big streaming platform. And we were just like, I, we were trying to build a tool that worked on top of Twitch. Like streamers could use it when they use Twitch. And it was working and every day we'd come into work and we'd work really hard on this tool. But like, there was definitely a part of us that was like, dude, how did we end up here? We're making this like tool for Twitch streamers that like is free. And then we're hoping that we can like, after they all use it, then we might be able to monetize this other way. We're just like this guppy in this, like in the, in the, in the ecosystem of this food chain, we're like that little fish that like swims in front of the whale's nose, like whatever that thing is called. Like we're that. And I was like, I like to fur count. I was like, man, don't you just want to be the whale? And he's like, I just so badly want to be the whale. And I'm like, yeah. So what can we do? He's and we just like made, we went to the room, we just whiteboarded, we're like, how would you like compete with Twitch itself? How would you just beat Twitch? And I was like, dude, look at the numbers. So we, we like ran the numbers. We're like, Twitch has this insane power law where you can see that the top, you know, X hundred streamers, if you take the top 300 streamers, they basically make up all the viewership, all the, all the meaningful viewership. Like, you know, I don't remember what the exact ratios were at the time, but like any power law, it's like, you know, the top 1% or whatever, make up a very significant portion right. of the viewership. So let's just make up some numbers. Let's say the top 300 made up 50% of the viewers at any given time. I was like, so Twitch is worth Twitch sold for a billion dollars, like a decade ago or whatever, you know, seven years ago, it's probably worth five, $7 billion. Now you're saying that if we could take, you know, half of that half if we can get to a quarter of that we'd be worth a bill you know we might we might have the equivalent you know 25 of the traffic we'd be worth you know a quarter of what they're worth which is like a billion dollars today how much money would it take for us to throw at those people right go get 25 percent of that three top 300 how much money would it take for us to go throw at them to be like come join our new thing and we like game theory the whole thing out we're like all right this guy makes this much today we basically need to offer him like 10 times what he's making today. How much to come move. How much do, do some of these guys make just on Twitch? So shortly after that, the contracts exploded. But like at that time, the top guys were making like single digit millions uh, per year off Twitch. So like, let's call it between one and five million. Uh, plus there's some endorsements you don't really know how to track. And, you know, they, they sell some amount of T-shirts. It's hard to know. Uh, and then it sort of exploded. Guys started signing like, you know, 10, $20 million uh, deals, but they're, they're, they're like multi-year deals, three-year deals or something like that. So, you know, they're making 6 million guaranteed or something like that, 5 million guaranteed, 10 million guaranteed. So uh, that was like the kind of like our, what our estimates were for the very, very top guys. We thought, okay, so how much would we need? And it's like, we basically did the math and we we're like, okay, I think you need, I don't remember what the number was today, but let's call it 
let's just pretend it was 150 million. We need 150 million dollars to go through with them. But it's like, if I told you you could go raise 150 million dollars, and you're saying you needed 150 million dollars in order to pay the streamers and tell them bail on Twitch, come to our platform, and when you come to our platform, you're going to bring your audience, and we're going to make all this money eventually through other people coming. You get this much guaranteed. All you have to do is just continue to stream, and you have to promote it in this way, and let us promote you. Can I make you a know, prediction? We're going to need five million to build this platform. My prediction yeah, is that would never work. I don't think that works. Okay, so tell me why. I'll tell you how. How it obviously it didn't happen. So, so you know you're partly. Right, I think it could. Tell me why you think. Well, I know that you didn't really try to do this, but uh, or I don't know in earnest. I don't know if you you didn't raise 150 million dollars. I think maybe the PGA Tour could work, maybe. But doing this for consumers, you need to have like a brand and you need to have some magic about it. It's kind of like, you know. Even if you put all of like the resources into creating a boy band, like sometimes that shit just don't work. Even though like everything, like everything on paper, it's like, well, we got the the blonde haired kid, we got the mixed race kid, we got the uh, the dancer, we got the singer. Right. Like on paper, this checks out. You know, like this should work. You know what I mean? We should be popular in Korea by this point. And it's just there's <laughs> there's just no magic, right? It, it, it shit just happens. And then like you have some like you know kid who just like sings a funny song and makes a joke about like wearing a cowboy hat and he gets hugely famous like Lil Nas X or something it just, shit just happens right. and I think that there's like a bit of magic that probably would be missing out when you're because with consumers it's quite challenging to like grab their attention it's like getting a, a cat to play with something it just sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't right so 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 I do think that that that's part of it but there have been instances where people have thrown money at the problem and it actually worked right for every Quibi, where you just raise a bunch of money, you go try to do the thing, it doesn't work. For every one of the, or every 10 of those, there's one where you're like, no, actually, they did kind of just brute force their way in. I don't know if you remember this, but when TikTok first launched, TikTok was lame as hell, dude. TikTok was lame as hell. It was pigeonholed as like the lame version of Musically, which was a pretty lame thing. It was like 12 year olds lip syncing videos. And now TikTok is huge. And one, one thing that happened in between, I remember meeting a guy and he was like, yeah, you know, TikTok is going to spend a billion dollars marketing the app. Cause I was like, dude, there's billboards in San Francisco, like at bus stops to download TikTok. I was like, do they really think this is going to work? And we had an intern, uh, not an intern, really, like a kind of just like a junior guy working for us. He was in ninth grade and he worked at our company. And I was like, he, he started mentioning TikTok. And I was like, is TikTok actually a thing? He's like, yeah, you know, we just kept hearing about it, kept hearing about it, kept hearing about it. And then they started just paying all of the top YouTubers and Vine people to just make TikToks and like, it worked. you know, eventually it just worked. Like, it's like, we all think it's lame, but like we all kind of started to use it. And then sure enough, the lame thing fell away too, right? By the end of it. And it like, you know, it became like a pretty mainstream thing. Like TikTok really did brute force their way down. They did a bunch of other things, right? Good product, great algorithm. They did a bunch of other things. Right? I'm not saying they didn't do that, but it's not like they started with this like brand love and right, authenticity right, right. and like loyalty and things like that. So let me tell you how this, this uh, Twitch thing played out. So, I had a hunch that you might be right. So I approached Discord and I said, hey, Discord, do you want to buy us? And they're like, uh, maybe, who are you? And like, what do you want to do? What do you do? And I was like, oh, we do this thing today, but here's what we would do with Discord. We would help you compete with Twitch. You have brand love. Like Discord is one of the most loved brands in gaming. It's like, you have the brand, you have brand love, but you don't do this today. We will build the platform and like, we can use this strategy to do this. And they were like, well, okay, this is kind of like a crazy big pivot idea. Like respect the audacity. Who did you like, email? What role? I, I don't know. CEO. And you said, "Hey, CEO, um, I'm Sean. This is what I do. Can I come to your office and pitch you?" And then you went to the office and told them that, or you told them this all exactly. 
Exactly. Why did he take your meeting? And he at the end of it, at the end of it, his his take was basically like, "We will acquire you if you want. Uh, I don't know if we'll pay the most. So you know, that's that's. I don't know if the deal will happen. Um, and I don't know if we would do this." But the fact that you can come in here and whiteboard this on a wall makes me want you to like come here and do things. And like and, that's and the that, biggest, that was his like takeaway. That's the biggest bullshit artist thing I've ever heard of. And you almost pulled it off. What was the guy like? He, he's amazing. He's he, a young he guy, right? Amazing. Just like a young nerdy dude. J- Jason Citron. Yeah. I was like, I, I had never met Zuck, but I was like, the way he talked about their product, their strategy, and like his like calm, like confidence, his like quiet, nerdy confidence. I was like, Oh, I don't want to compete with this guy, and I see why they've kicked everyone's ass. Like this is like this guy's really smart and just really uh, like has a point of view about the way this needs to go, and like it's just simple, it's understandable, it's different. Why do you think he took and your I meeting? I just feel like he's going to execute on that. Um, I think I had gotten a warm intro through his investor, his lead investor. I told his lead investor, "Hey, we're thinking about selling," but I, I went to him and I was like. Hey, we're thinking about selling. Would you do this deal or not? And he was like, well, you should first talk to the discord guys. And I was like, great. You know, that's exactly what I was hoping for, you know, cause I, I just need to create a bidding war of some kind to get the you know best deal possible. So can you make that intro? So he just emailed him. It was like, um, you guys should meet uh, or like, you know, here's his email. He's like, I think he warm intro you should meet. And I just said, Hey, I'd love to come by the office today. And like, uh, you know, 40 minutes, I'll sketch out what I have in mind. And like, you know, you can decide God, that's if I'm, so if funny. I'm nuts. Or if uh, I'm genius or I'm nuts and you can decide for yourself. But he respected it. I don't know what I said. Yeah. He was just like, you know, would you like to come like be one of the like C-suite type people? Cause I don't think we're going to do that plan that you outlined, but I like you, you know, it's like, you know, there's not, uh, I don't, don't, we didn't get that. Dude, this is how, would you come be a leader? Everyone needs the confidence of a Sean Purry. This is a great story. (laughs) This is, um, proof that you can just create shit out of thin air value yeah you can create value yeah, out i always of thin say air. this like at my last startup the, the best thing i did ultimately in that in that company was i did write by the team and the shareholders of like at the end i put my best foot forward to try to get us the most value we could um that was like you know of all the things i did that was the best one and like i tried to do many other things well i tried to find product market fit tried to scale tried to hire a great team and i did some of those okay some of those poorly the one thing i did great was this this process let me let me finish the story here so then so I'm like, okay, these guys don't want to do it, but maybe we could still do it. And so we start trying to set up a meeting and I, I realized pretty quickly, oh, you have to do this as one, you have to do this as like a coup because it's kind of like a rebellion. And the, I was like, we need to do two things. We need to wait till people are pissed off about something that Twitch does, which big companies will shoot themselves in the foot. They'll come out with policies. They'll, they'll make some statement. They'll change some feature. They'll change the revenue split and people will get annoyed. I was like, so we need to capitalize on that. And then secondly, we need to get everybody all at once. You know, that movie that's out that people like every, everything everywhere all at once. That's how, I was like, that's how we need to do this. We can't just get, we can't just slowly negotiate one by one. It won't feel like there's enough momentum. And so I was like, we need to do this at Twitch's big conference where all the streamers will go to all the big streamers go. Cause most big streamers, they don't leave their house. They're like, they're like me, but they actually have like, you know, they're actually, fa- you know, rich and famous from their streaming, but they can't leave their room. It's like their job. And so they, they go on vacation very little. They take very few days off. The one thing they do is they often go to TwitchCon because they can meet their fans and it's the big event. So I was like, we need to do like a dinner the day before, the day before or the day after the conference, probably the, probably the day before. And I was like, you know, this might be the worst time because they're going to be up in, you know, the Twitch kind of like ecosystem, but it's the only time we can get them all in the same room. I was like, and we'll lay out our case which is basically, look, you guys are going to make stupid money. 
If you all are in, there's no risk to any of you individually because you're if you're all there, this will actually work. And see, like you don't have to be, play by Twitch's rules anymore. Like you have a you know, say in this thing. I can't find this client info. Have you heard of HubSpot? HubSpot is a CRM platform, so it shares its data across every application. Every team can stay aligned. No out of sync spreadsheets or dueling databases. HubSpot, grow better. Dude, there's this and, like um, there's this like famous meeting that happened in, in Atlantic City in like 1930s, and that's when they it was all all the mafia guys that got together and like Al Capone and all these guys, and that's when they like formed like the syndicate or whatever, you know, like the mob, and like you know it's us versus everyone. That that's basically what you did. You had like your little mob meeting, and that sounds awesome. No, no, I I didn't do it. I wanted to do this. I didn't even get there. Why? Because there was one thing that happened, and when we ended up getting acquired by Twitch. Uh, and it was like, hey, let's grab a drink. We'll celebrate. So we go to the first time I met him, like out of, outside of the office and we go to this bar and, you know, we're talking about stuff. And I was just like, you know, uh, I was like, what do you think? How would somebody beat Twitch? And he's like, hmm. He's like, thinking, he's like, it's pretty hard. We do have like a pretty good business and like, you know, it's hard to compete against these like marketplaces once they get big. Did he know about your meeting? But, you know, you could. No, no. So I go, I go. I go, we had an idea. Uh, I don't know if this would have ever worked. We got very close and we didn't pull the trigger ultimately. Uh, but I always wondered, like, would this have worked? And I told him the idea. He goes, he goes, yeah, we've thought about that. Like that. I don't want to quote him, but like the, the gist of what he said was, if you were going to do it, that's the only way to do it. But we knew that. And that's why we started signing exclusive contracts with all these guys and specifically exclusive contracts that don't line up. So we would make one expire in June and another expire in January. Another one expires in the right. year, following year. He's like, so that nobody could ever like they're, they're all off cycle payment, all off cycle contracts so that nobody could come and like, oh, they're all going to be free agents. Well and we, we sign them all right away. Tiny ass detail. Tiny detail. Right. And I was like, wow. And then sure enough, this actually did end up. Tr somebody did try to do this. So. Uh, Microsoft came out with this thing called Mixer and they went and they tried to get the top streamers. They gave Ninja like, I don't know, some stupid 20, 30 million dollars to come stream on Mixer. He said yes. because He's like, dude, if I'm making four or five on Twitch and these guys will give me 30 guaranteed um, to go sit here for two years. All right, I'll do it. And they tell me like this is integrated with Xbox. It's going to like drive me a bunch of new viewers. Cool. And then they tried to get Shroud and try to get a bunch of others, but they did it too slowly. And so, um, so this attack did actually end up happening. But that when company I was went out of business, didn't it? Yeah, because they couldn't get the critical mass. They couldn't get enough people to say yes. Um, and, but like this did happen. Like the Chinese streaming platforms tried to do it. Like a whole bunch of people tried to do this against Twitch at the same time. And, and Twitch did a, you know, a fairly good job of not only this off-cycle contract thing, but also figuring out is crazy. There was like this, this, uh, this like theory, which was, how many of your favorite streamers need to move before you move? And so they looked at like, okay, if I'm a viewer, if I spend 100% of the time just watching Sam and Sam leaves, okay, I have a high likelihood of leaving. But as long as I can get you to watch like four people, the odds of all four leaving are very low. And if, if one leaves, I'm like 95% chance to just stay. How about the fact that they probably hired some like MIT, like rocket scientists. And he's like thinking for years, like I'm going to, I'm going to help get man to Mars. Mars. You know, I'm going to help. I'm going to be part of saving the world, the human race. I'm just a little small part of this, but I'm helping. And he gets his job offer from SpaceX and it's 135,000. And then he gets this job offer from Twitch and it's like 140,000. And he's like, 
Yeah, they got free lunch though. Uh, like you know, like it's it's like the office is down the street from my house. Um, you know, I can do I, this. This space thing will always be here. You know, like um, th- their office is beautiful. You know, and, and then right. they take that Twitch office, and then they spend the next eight years of their lives, and the only point is figuring out how to make it so a streamer can click a button and like a cat pops up on their shoulder, like, like an emoji, you know what I mean? Or it's like, how do I just make it? So like on Monday night football, the first, the, the down line, the yellow line moves perfectly with like the, you know, how do I do that? <laughs> you know, space will always be there though. But like, how do I get this? Like, right, first? Right, right. Yeah, just imagine someone like dedicating their lives to that. That, I, that sounds horrible to me. That is um, not, far from the truth and in fact some people try to use that to their advantage um like you know steve jobs did that thing where he's like recruiting john scully or whatever he's like you know when are you going to stop selling sugar water to kids and come like help change the world and uh uh scott harrison the ceo of charity water he's like i remember he came to silicon valley he was recruiting for charity water and i was like how do you recruit from like google you this he was trying to hire somebody from adobe i remember and he's like yeah she makes four times as much as i'm going to offer i'm like how why would she take a like a huge pay cut like that, like four X less. He's like, I just got to hope that she wants to do something that actually matters. And like, you know, I was like, well, okay. And he actually did succeed in recruiting a bunch of really interesting people. Um, but yeah, you know, it does happen. Like when you're at these companies, it's like what percent of your life goes towards like being like, <clears throat> you know, can we get, you know, chat engagement up by 0.2%? Like, can we get the, uh, you know, if I add this emoji of this, like, you know, bouncing cat, like, are you 34% more likely to come back next week? Like, you know, there's a lot of life that comes down to you. If you work a big tech company, you're working inside of a slot machine and you're looking at this like person sitting down on the stool and you're like, can I get another four quarters out of them? Like, what do I need to let's hey, make that light flash over there. Hey, hey, cherries, get a flash. You, yeah, that'll do it. My wife, you know, went to this fancy uh, Ivy league school. She's this brilliant woman. And she was at Facebook when we started dating and she was telling me what she do. She's like, I'm a PMM. What's that stand for? Product marketing manager. And I was like, what's that mean? She's like, oh, well, we just help people. Um, like we want more people to use Facebook. I'm like, oh, are you guys like the thing that puts like the jet above India? So like they get free internet access. She's like, oh, no, not really. Um, well, what do you do? She's like, well, you know, I create um, different products to help people to use Facebook. I'm like, okay, but what do you really do? She's like, I'm uh, making it so you could put a sticker on your picture and more people will spend just a little bit more time on this app. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, you, you should quit, right? <laughs> and like, <laughs> that's when she quit. She's like, yeah, and went and did something that actually she cared about. But uh, yeah, I remember hearing about that. I'm like, oh, that's why you went into debt for all these universities. And that's why you did all that was so you can, you know, walk around the Facebook campus for like three hours a day and make like a sticker of like Poojean the cat or whatever the fuck that thing was called. You remember that thing Poojean or <laughs> what was that thing? It was like a, it was like a Japanese cat. No idea what you're talking about. It, it was called like Poo. Remember how uh, Facebook, they, they would have all these like uh, Japanese cartoons. There was like that dog with his tongue hanging out. I don't remember. It was the thing. It was like Poojean. It was like a cat that was Asian and like, it was like a series of stickers that, yeah, it's it's the thing in Snapchat that that dancing hot dog, which has been seen more than like any cartoon or animation ever, 
Uh, it's like been seen like 10 billion times uh, or like 100 billion times or something like that. It's like, yeah, this, this hot dog is actually more popular than Mickey Mouse. Uh, it's just like the stupid <laughs> way that time. It reminds me of on that TV show Silicon Valley. One of the apps that they said was amazing was Nip Alert and it uh, alerts you of erect nipples uh, in your vicinity. <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, this sticker thing, that's Nip Alert. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, when I was there, when I was, I, I didn't think it was like, you know, a waste of sort of time and energy and that's like i don't know maybe, maybe i think twitch projects- is actually okay because twitch is like this is like this cool subculture we're nerds no one likes us we finally have a space that we can do this stuff facebook i think is different and i respected the game theory of it i was like when this whole like contract thing was going down and they were like you know how basically the question of how much should we bid i was like i don't know you know like it's like in sports there's like this money ball movement where you're trying to figure out the value of a player and if you can accurately forecast the value of a player you have an edge in winning in the in the, in the league the same the same thing is true now for all these like big media platforms that are like in, in twitch's case here they were bidding for content so they're bidding for for this and you know i went and met with people or like you know talked to people who are at netflix and it's like hey how do you decide how much to spend on the production of this or how, you know how do you figure out if it was worth it to spend you know whatever 100 million dollars on house of cards and like, and you go there and you'll meet, you know, you meet the guy who's doing the same thing, right? Like the brilliant data scientist whose like job is to like A-B test the thumbnails of, you know, like the, the new Garfield movie to figure out which one is going to lead to higher engagement, like lower churn. And it's like, yeah, you know, you're, you're A-B testing thumbnails for, for you, for, for Netflix and YouTube and all this stuff. Like, yeah, that's like, it kind of feels like, you know, bringing a gun to a knife fight type of thing. Like you're, 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 you're damn like really this is where all the i know but it's a scale it's not binary it's a scale you know and so for some companies it's like oh no this is just way too lame for others it's like oh this got a little pinch of lame a little half a cup of lame but like it's mostly pretty cool you know what i'm saying netflix i actually think that's cool it's like oh i'm giving the world a little bit of entertainment facebook it's like i'm just making people hate themselves yeah the thing that i the way i ended up thinking about it was um like do I matter here? Like, uh, if I left, <laughs> like, who cares? <laughs> yeah. I, I call this the Jenga law. Like, if you remove this block from the Jenga tower, uh, tower still there. Okay, guess that wasn't a key block. Like, you know, sure, we'd love to have it there. It's more, it's better if it's there. But like, nah, nobody really cares if it leaves. It's like, well, if, if I don't really matter here, then like, it's very hard for me to get excited. Right, right, and right. that's kind of an ego thing, but it's also like an impact thing. Like, if I at a startup, like, I can. I can just by myself create a product, give value to customers that didn't exist, and I can capture a huge amount of the value. And at a big company, I'm neither the key person creating the value nor the key person nor the person who captures any of the value. Right? Like your value capture inside of a company is 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 fixed. Like you you get paid what you get paid in most cases. You know, aside from like maybe a bonus that you could get, um, whether your product succeeds or fails, which is why a bunch of products fail or go really slow inside these companies because it doesn't matter. You don't get, you don't get a prize if it works. Uh, you know, you get, you get praise. And so, and then, and then the other side, which is like, you know, does this matter? And I think there is a counter argument. Like I talked to um, this guy, Josh Elman, and, uh, and actually even the, the chief product officer at Twitch, this guy, Dan, I was like, Dan, why, why do you always join, you know, worked at Google, worked at Nextdoor, worked at now Twitch. I was like, why are you doing this big companies? Like, have you ever wanted to go do your own? He's like, yeah, but I wanted like impact scale. And I was like, I was like, oh, that's weird. Like in my head, it was always, if I'm at a small company, I have a bigger impact because right, right, I right. am big relative to the company. He's like, yeah, but that's not how you think about it. Like here, if I can improve one product that 
10 million people use or at Google, you know, a billion people use search, uh, you know, every single day. And so if I can make that better, he's like, I created the book search, you know, feature. I was, you know, on the books team, we created that project. So now you could like search for books and like a bunch of people on earth do that. Not a startup, but it'd be very hard for me to do that. And I was like, okay, like that is the counterpoint is like, if you're, if you're working at Apple and you're working on the app store, like, you know, the app store, if a billion people use it every single day, I guess like making that better reaches a billion people, you know, making their life 1% better or whatever, you know, that, that day is, is higher impact than, than at a startup, but it just doesn't feel that way. The action doesn't feel the same to me. No, I agree. You want to do another topic? Can I give you a framework that I think is uh, pretty dope that I, that I heard? Mm -hmm. So I was talking to somebody about like, you know, um, I guess I can't really say what I was talking about, uh, but I was talking about something. It's sort of like, you know, let's say the topic of money, like, you yeah. know, should I do this? Should I do this? It's going to yield this amount of money or not. And the person was like, well, the way I think about money is, um, you know, he goes, the value of money is what can you say no to? if you have this money. And I was like, what do you mean by that? I, that's interesting. I started, he, he actually, he didn't even respond, but I was like, uh, I, in my head, I was like, that's interesting. I've never heard that before. And so like, I started thinking about it and I go, that's true. Like people always say, you know, I want financial freedom. I want freedom. I, you know, I don't care about money. I care about freedom. That's like a common thing you'll hear. And it's like, what does that actually mean? And I was like, oh, it's actually not the freedom to do something. It's the freedom from having to do something. So it's like, what can I say no to? So let me give you kind of like, so I started thinking about my own life. I was like, when I had $25,000 in my bank account, I could say no to a really shitty job. Like I didn't have to go flip burgers or be a janitor because I could, I could pay my like monthly bill. Uh, and I could do that for like, you know, six to 12 months and like, cool. That means I didn't have to go get a bad job, a shitty job today. But then at like a hundred K in the bank, you could say no to like a shitty manager. It's like, okay, I don't, I can't just retire, but I can like quit this job, take a gap and like find another job. And I don't feel like this, like financial stress in doing that. So hundred K lets me say no to a shitty manager. I was like half a million. That's when I could say no to like, I don't have to work for a couple of years. I could just say no to work for a little bit, temporarily say no like to work. Like a six or 12 I month go, thing. Yeah. Yeah. I could go for a year. I could try a startup or go trap backpacking or whatever. Like I could pursue a passion of some kind. So that's a new thing you could say no to. It's like work for a little while. Then it kind of like, I would say 3 million. You could just say no to jobs. Like, uh, I'm only going to work for myself. I can bet on myself and, and give myself enough time to figure stuff out without having to stress about it. At 10 million, I think you just say no to working in general. It's like, all right, like my money makes enough money. I just don't need to use my time to make money if I don't want to. And then it kind of goes on. And I, I think and at I 20 think million, that, you say no. Well, at like, I, I've been thinking about this as well. Um, at like between some number, maybe around 100, you say no to having to be in one location. So for example, right now I rent a place in one location and I own a place in another location. If I had a hundred million dollars, I'd probably own three or four homes. And it's just like, Hey, let's just go from place to place to place. I don't have to spend any right. time organizing a rental or, or anything. And then maybe around right. like two or 300, it's, I'm going to say no to wasting time at an airport. I'm just, we only, yes. You know, we only fly. So, so I, I think it's that, but the numbers are a little bit less. I said at 50 million, I think you could say no to any inconvenience that money can solve. You could. I think you right. could. Like, but you could but fly you could. private at 50 million. You don't have to own the jet. But you could fly private. Sure, uh, you, for sure. You could hire assistants to do anything you need. 
You can hire, you know, chefs and drivers and, 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 you know, errands and, and accountants and anything you don't want to do. You don't have to do. I talked once you get to sort of I, I talked 20, to, 50 million range. I talked to a guy the other day who owns a jet and it, he said it, it's, it's about two and a half million a year, um, in expenses. Right. And he owns it. Uh, if you want to rent it, I think you could go most, you can go to a lot of places and spend half a million dollars a year. And if you have 50 million, right. that's, that's doable, but you can't own like an $8 million house in Brooklyn and then a $3 million house in Austin and then a $5 million house in LA. But you could own pretty nice shit in those places. Right. And so, and, uh, you know, like the top ladders, you, you get to 100 million. And I think you could say no to the way the world the world works. You get to change some rules. And at a billion, I think you say no to like politicians. You say no to the police. You say you say no to a bunch of people uh, when you get to a billion because you have the ability to kind of fight back. Uh, you, they uh, they kind of there's there's a different level of respect. And so to me, I liked this framework of. What does this mo- amount of money allow me to say no to that I want to say no to? Did you, um, so, yeah. what would, what hourly rate would you say no to right now for a, for a project that you don't want to do for a one hour phone call? What would you have to accept? Uh, so like, I think they, I, there's like what you say and then there's like what you actually, like what the market clearing price actually is. So right? you would, you would, and, right now I charge $2,000 an hour and I take about two hours a week of phone calls. Um, would you do that or not? So that's the exact borderline. So on GLG, that's like what you get. The max you can set my rate to is 2000. And if I get a, if I get a bid and I'm like, ah, oh, this phone call doesn't sound like it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, it's like right at that borderline where I feel like I kind of should like eh, for an hour, I, I should, dude, do I don't it. take, and I, I, I don't take the calls cause I need the money. I take the calls because I feel guilty saying no. And so it's the same thing, right? Like uh, feeling like I should means feeling like I, I want to say no, but I don't think I should. And therefore, if I say no, I kind of feel like I've made a, you know, I'm guilty, right? Like what I've uh, done Nicole is has this- I've used the app intro and I just like, for example, I'm flying down to your event and then I'm flying to LA. I, um, I schedule it. So I know when you I'm going to be the money. Well, I know when I'm going to be in the Uber and I just make my availability there. So I'm like sick. I'll just take this in the Uber and now I can afford like I could justify a $200 Uber black because I'm making $2,000 in this hour. And so I'm going to be comfortable and I'll order even early. So if I arrive early at the airport, I can just sit outside of the airport and finish this call. So that's kind of how I've been justifying it now. But right. it feels weird selling time per hour. And I don't even know if I like that in general. Yeah, exactly. So I would say my true answer is if I don't want to do it right now, I think that the number is something like two or $3,000 for an hour. If I, do, if I just... If I, if I don't want to do it, I actually just don't do it. But if it's like borderline, if I'm not sure if I want to do it or I don't think I would like it, but it's not so painful, I think that's my current thing. Uh, but I'm, I'm actively trying to get away from it. Like, um, uh, what was it? Something that came up yesterday that was like this. And I was like, I was by default, I was just going to say yes. And I was like, should I say yes to this? Let me just like recheck what I want to be saying yes to. Because I think that, you know, one of the most important decisions in your life is what are the things I'm going to say yes to? And what are the things I'm going to say no to? So there's your default box, which is like, oh, I, I obviously say yes and no to these things. Then what are the non-obvious things? So it's like, I want to be saying yes to things that I know will be fun and help me grow, but scare me a little or put me out of my comfort zone, right? So it's like, I know I want to say yes to that. I know I want to say yes to, uh, if my friend is in town, I want to go pick them up from the airport. Or if my mom needs to get to the airport, I want to drive her there. Like, I want to say yes to tasks that like, um, I don't want to do, but I actually want to be the person who does those things. So I'm just like, I'm deciding consciously, what are the things that are like, 
What, what should I be moving into the yes box? And what should I be moving into the no box? What's some shit I do today that I should be saying no to? Do you have a polite way of saying no to all the inbound or do you just ignore? Uh, I used to just ignore. And then I realized like, it's totally fine to just say, um, hey, this sounds cool, but um, I just got my hands full. I don't want to do anything else. Or like, hey, this, uh, you know, um, hey, you know, uh, thanks for reaching out. Um, I don't want to do any more phone calls that I'm doing right now, but if that changes, I'll let you know. Yeah. And like, I'll just say something. And I think, you know, people, A, they just appreciate a response more than a blow off. And B, I think there's some level of respect for um, thoughtful emails. For like, yeah. For, for, you know, somebody just being honest and like just saying, look, I, I don't like, I don't want to do that. Um, you know, I, I've decided I want to travel less, you know, um, so I'm going to say, so I'm saying no to travel. Dude, I had right this now. guy messaging me saying he wants to come on the pod. And I was just like, I ignored it. I ignored it because I hate when people ask to come on because I'm like, dude, why are you going to make me say no? Like we I say no to everyone <laughs> practically, even good friends. Like we just say no to most everyone. And this guy, he was like, uh, I was, hey, or he was like, can I come on? I'm a huge fan. And I just said like, thanks for reaching out. Like I didn't even, I tried to avoid it. Like it was quite obvious. And he's <laughs> like, uh, hey, so can I come on? And I go, you know, this isn't a good fit, but I really appreciate you listening. And he was like, um, can I get some feedback? I was like, it's just not a good fit. And he goes, okay, but why? And I was like, uh, okay, because you're not interesting and you're not that successful. And uh, <laughs> he was angry at me. And I was like, dude, what, what the hell? I mean, I was trying to like, you know, make a point of like avoiding this topic and being kind. But you, if you're going to ask for feedback, and I'm going to tell you, you know, what, what, what it's about. Don't get angry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, well, yeah, I, I, what's not interesting about I, it? He said, I go. It just, there's, uh, you know, I just don't care about you. <laughs> so my, my, my Goldilocks thing here was I was too cold when I just blew people off because they didn't like that. And then they would just stop like, you know, I, I found I would miss opportunities because I wouldn't reply to things, uh, miss opportunities that I cared about, uh, in the long run. And then the too hot was, I would just be like, I don't do phone calls. I was like, okay, you know, you're an, you're sort of a jerk for just being like, uh, I don't do phone calls or like, I don't meet with people. I don't know. Or like, you know, I, I don't do this. It's like too hard of a rule. And I found that this, the sweet spot was somewhere in the middle of just saying, uh, you know, hey, thanks. But uh, but, you know, I'm trying to do less of this right now. Or or sometimes I'll say like, um, they'll be like, hey, did you want to do this? And I'll be like, um, you know, I haven't decided. And, uh, you know, like, I don't know. I don't I don't even know what I want yet. So let me get clear on what I want. And then I'll come back if I if I you know, when I get clear, if I ever get clear on it. But like, it's not about you. I just don't know exactly what I want to do right now. And like, I'll just say like something honest like that. And I found that that, that tends to work um, a little bit better. Dude, we went from Hitler to Saudi Arabia to <laughs> saying no to people. Mental models. Yeah, mental models. <laughs> Good pod. Um, you, uh, I'm going to be in LA on Sunday. You're not coming, right? To LA on Sunday? No, I don't think so. But then I'm gonna see you in. The, what are you going to? What are you going to LA? I for? told you about it. I'm hosting an event there, dude. For the New York event that I'm hosting, we've got like 1,300 RSVPs. I'm eager to see how many show you, up. You got to cut that down, right? You can't. You can't do. It. You're gonna do a thousand person event? No, that's how many people said they're coming, but it's free, so like maybe half will come. Um, but we put up 10 grand. You're gonna do a 650 person event? Dude, it's all That's guys, such an by the way. Number. It's all guys. Yeah. I like scroll through. It's all dudes. I could smell that event already. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucked up, man. So many chads are going to be there. And then I'm doing the same thing in LA, and that one has like five or 600 RSVPs. Um, I just, uh, you and I were talking about an event, and I was like, 
kind of like actually this was like a toilet decision and I just wrote it on Eventbrite on my phone and just posted it right away and people signed up and said we're committed so we're doing that and then I'm going to be and then we're going to go to uh, the Carolinas for uh, the thing you're organizing which everyone's been reaching out to me did we talk about it last pod yeah, we mentioned at the end of the last pod. Dude, so many people are reaching what out. What are they reaching out about? They want to come. Uh, they Basically, people wanting to come. And I'm like, this isn't... No. No, sorry. It's not my thing. Yeah. But so, so I came up with a... I was like, what do we call this? And I was like, I want to call it Camp MFM. So it's Camp MFM. And I was like, we could do these... But we could do a bunch of these. We could just do like adult summer camps, basically. Great idea. Like, what's... What is something that's really fun? Because I don't want to go to something that's like, like even this like thousand person meetup, like I'm sure it's cool and there's cool well, people. Well, it serves like, a different purpose. It's a party versus uh, an experience. Yeah. So I want to have experiences. You know, when you were like, yeah. I'm a fucking artist, man. Yeah. That, that's how I am. Like, I want to have experiences. This is going to be a good uh, one. Like, now we got to come up with another one. Let's go to like hope. And so some of these will be like this one, which is like ultra, like more like super exclusive, right? There's only, there was only supposed to be 12 people going, it's expanded to 24. And, um, you know, that's a lot. I, I wanted it to be more like 12, but I'm like, there'll be those. And I think we should do some that are for like, dude, if you can, like, if you know the phrase, you know, we don't do public math, manifest cowboys, you know, uh, Sam wants to own a lake. Like if you know the inside jokes of this pod, then you're, that's your admittance into the, to this, this camp. And I was like, I think we should do these like twice a year. Um, that are just like fun and awesome and get people together. Or quarterly. I, like, I, I think mean, Camp MFM should be the thing. I never wanted to do the work for this, um, and neither do you. And so that's like you know one of the challenges. But but it wasn't a lot of work for this one, was it? I kind of feel like it is. This is a lot of, because as soon as I try to do something, I'm like, well, let's make it fucking awesome, Ben. Like you know, and so like all of a sudden, like for this basketball thing, we got like Nike's giving us all like like sneakers like from like one of their players. And like we're getting like custom swag. We rented these like dope Airbnbs. We got like a chef. We got like all this stuff coming together. I was like, well, if we're going to have good people, let's get like some like good names in here. Let's get like some people we're excited to meet. And then it's all coming together. And like, but like each one of those now, I'm like, now I want it to be like awesome. If we're going to do Dude, it, we got, we can, have, we, like, we, you know, we can get a, experience. we can get a sponsor to say like, all right, you get a, you get $300,000 a year to do cool shit, but we get to be there at all the events. Yeah. Okay. If somebody wants to do a uh, sponsor camp, camp MFM, you can do this. And all the money will go to basically hiring a planner to actually like do these things for us. And, uh, and secondly to, uh, to, you know, the, the venue and logistics of it. All right. That's a pod. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs>